Well, so glad that you're joining us online like this today. If we've never met before, my name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor at Charles River Church serving Boston's Parkway neighborhoods. Really excited that you're with us because today we're kicking off a brand new summer sermon series that we're calling Hidden Figures. This series is a collaborative series with several churches in our family of churches. We have Christ Church up in Charlestown. What's up, guys? We have Grace City Church in Fenway. So glad to have you. And then we have our home church, uh, Charles River Church in Roslindale. And uh, we're going to be in this series through July and in to August, and you're going to get to hear from a variety of pastors, and I just think it's so good for us just to hear different voices and different perspectives on God's Word. Our church is partnered together for the greater good of this city, and it's just going to be really encouraging to be reminded of the fact that God is at work, not just in our local context, in our particular church, our particular neighborhood, but God's at work all across this city, and we get to lock arms together uh, to be a part of what God's doing. Psalm 133 verse 1 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And our prayer is that this will be pleasant to us as God's people, that we're just going to enjoy being together in this series. And then ultimately, it's going to be pleasing to the Lord. He loves when we cooperate together like this. Now, here's the deal with this series, Hidden Figures. We're looking at lesser known characters in God's story, people who maybe don't show up on your radar, but are included in the Bible for a reason. God has something for us with every single character that we're going to look at throughout the summer. And so this week, I get to kick off with a story that is part Home Alone, uh, part Goonies, and part Nicolas Cage National Treasure. All the classics, of course. And I I just love the story that we're looking at. So here's what I want to do. I want to kick off with uh, some Bible trivia. Who is this verse speaking of? You ready? It says, Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. So according to this verse, we're essentially asking who was the greatest king? Other than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lord Jesus, who was the greatest king? In fact, I'll give you a second right now to maybe take some guesses in the chat section there or in the comment section, whatever platform you're joining us on right now. Just take, take a few guesses. Who was he? Some would say David. Some would maybe say Solomon. Some might say Hezekiah. But the king we're talking about here is King Josiah. And that verse is 2 Kings 23, verse 25, at the very end of his story. Our hidden figure today is King Josiah. And in many ways, he's the greatest king in the Bible other than Jesus, of course. I wonder if anybody wants greatness for your life. I'm sure you do. I want my life to mean something. I want my life to be great. And I know that many people move to Boston or in this city for greatness. We have some of the greatest schools in the world. We have some of the greatest hospitals in the world. Some of the greatest technological advances come out of this city. Some of the greatest research comes from this city. Many of you, you're here specifically for greatness in your field. Others of you, you just, you want to be the greatest mom. You want to be the greatest dad. You want to be the greatest uh, whatever it is that you do for your work. And you should pursue greatness. Colossians chapter 3, 23 says, whatever you do, whatever it is, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So that means that whatever it is that you do, you're doing it ultimately not for the people that you're serving or for their prey. You're doing it to honor the Lord. So whatever you do, do it heartily and do it as if you're doing it unto the Lord. Now, as we read 2 Kings 23, 25 about Josiah, what is it that set him apart? What is it that made him the greatest? It says that he turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses. So what set him apart? Was it that he loved God more than anybody else? 
Was it that he obeyed the law to the letter better than anybody else? Was it the extreme of how bad he was and how good he became? No, really, it was, it was none of that. Listen to 2 Kings 23, 25 again. His greatness came from that he turned, from the Lord, or turned to the Lord and how he turned to the Lord. He did so with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his might. He didn't necessarily love God more. He didn't necessarily follow God better. He didn't really come from some extreme rebellion. He was a good kid from a, a young age. It wasn't even the, the great change that he effected as a king over Israel. In, in the grand scheme, it wasn't all that ton of change. According to 2 Kings 23-25, Josiah was great because of his response to the Word of God. When he got a hold of this book, or should I say, this book got a hold of him, boom, greatness, according to God's measure of greatness. And listen, really the same goes for every single one of us. In the eyes of the Lord, greatness comes when we are truly changed by His Word, His, His message to us. See, many people are going to measure your greatness by the dollar signs in your bank account. Many people are going to measure your, your greatness by the, the, the letters after your name or by various accomplishments throughout your, your life. But God says, show me a person who is all up in this book, and this book, its message is all up in them. That's the, the story of King Josiah. And it's found in, in 2 Kings chapter 22, just one chapter before the verse we've already been looking at. Now, I told you up front, this is part Home Alone and part Goonies, and here's why. Because Josiah became king at age eight. Eight! Kevin McAllister, Home Alone, that was eight years old. Do you know any eight-year-olds? I do, and I, I don't know, I just picture a kid sitting on a throne wearing a Star Wars t-shirt, having a scepter in one hand and a juice box in the other hand. How does this happen that an eight-year-old becomes king? Well, we're in a, a season of the history of Israel where they're in a monarchy, and Israel had 39 kings, and only eight of those kings were God-honoring. Only eight of the 39 kings honored the Lord. And the, the kings were essentially to be pictures of the coming of the king of kings, Jesus. And only eight of those honored God. That means 31 dropped the ball and led the people astray and led the people to worship false gods, fake gods, and they erected altars to worship these false gods. But there were eight who reflected Christ well, and one of those eight was Josiah. Now, 340 years before his birth, there was a good king that was prophesied about. First Kings chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, uh, actually calls this king by name, and it tells us that there will be a king who will arise, and his name will be Josiah, and he will eradicate the worship of false gods and will actually destroy altars to false gods. And that's exactly what happens in the life of Josiah. This prophecy comes at the beginning of the, the season of the kings, and Josiah is towards the end of the season of the kings. Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh, was horribly wicked. He led a child sacrifice to a false god named Moloch, and judgment comes to the nation of Israel through Babylon because of the wicked grandpa, uh, Manasseh. Uh, his father, Amnon, uh, was, was wicked as well, just like his father, Manasseh. And his servants, because of his wickedness, they together got together and Inspired to kill him and took him out, leaving Josiah as the, the, the heir to the throne at age eight years old. But Josiah didn't follow his dad. He didn't follow his granddad. He honored God like his great, 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 great granddad, King David. Now let's read about Josiah. Pick up 2 Kings chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. It says, 
Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he walked all the way of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. So, his father is slayed by his servants, leaving him king at eight years old, with a whole lot of power at eight years old, mind you. I remember when I was eight years old, one of the, my, my things we did with my friends in the summertime is we'd play a lot of capture the flags in the woods around our neighborhood. And if you got caught, you'd have to go to the other team's jail. And when I was eight years old, I specifically remember having power being the, the prison warden or, or in charge of the, the jail. And that's just not good, giving that kind of power to an eight-year-old. And we would do crazy things like tie kids up with ropes to trees or tie their hands behind their back. And we'd shout at them and taunt them and say, lay on the ground, lay on the dirt. But here's Josiah, eight years old, with all kinds of power, but he has instilled within him from the Lord a desire to do what is right, and he honors the Lord. He was a child of prophecy, and in God's divine wisdom, it was time for the people to have a Christ-like figure on the throne, like his father, David. Now, he refers to David as his father because his other fathers were wicked. And God uses this humble boy, a little kid, to bring people back to the Lord. Because listen, God loves using humble, obscure, hidden figures to execute his plan throughout history. Now, the, the, the other account of his life in, in Second Chronicles uh, tells us that when he was eight years old and he began to reign, he began to seek after God like his, his father David. And then it says when he turns 16 years old, he really began to seek out truth. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 13 says, now this is a promise from God, he says, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. So here's this guy now, 16 years old, and he does that. He begins to seek God, and he, he finds God because he starts to search after God with all of his heart at the age of 16. Some of you, you're, you're watching online right now with us because you, you went through this process. You started to seek God, and you started to seek truth, and as you sought truth and wanted to figure things out, and you really pursued it with all of your heart and said, i got to determine what this is, God showed himself to you because God loves to answer your Questions And if you're with us right now and you're unsure about this whole Jesus thing, this whole Bible thing, this whole faith thing, let me just encourage you, ask questions because we're not afraid of questions. God's not afraid of questions. We believe that the Bible has answers. And so Josiah starts to pursue his questions that he had as a young boy wanting to, to figure this thing out and not be like his father and not be like his grandfather and, and be like the one that he's heard about who come, came long before him, King David. And, and so 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 3 says, In the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram, the carved the metal images, and he chopped down the altars to the bales. He broke into pieces the idols, and he made dust of them and scattered them over the graves. So there he goes. In the twelfth year of his reign, he began to fulfill this 340-year-old prophecy. And when did he start it? He started it in the 12th year of his reign. So if he began reigning at age 8, 8 years later he starts to pursue the Lord at age 16. But then in the 12th year of his reign, 8 plus 12, 20, he's now 20 years old. And in Jerusalem and in Israel, when you're 20 years old, that's really when you kind of in the eyes of the people became an adult. It seems as though, uh, yes, he was a kid as a king, but he, he probably had some adult help with his uh, kingship. He wasn't ruling with a scepter and a juice box. He had a lot of adults helping him, of course. But when he becomes an adult at 20 years old, he says, all right, 
Now it's time to get to business. I've been seeking God for, for four years, and I'm not okay with this. I'm not okay with this worship of all these, these false gods and, and the child sacrifice and all the crazy stuff that was going on that's not the, the, the way of the, the God of the universe, the one who brought us out of slavery, the one who brought us into the promised land. I'm not okay. Let's get down to business. I'm 20 years old. I'm an adult. As a king, I'm ready to start to call some shots. So pick up 2 Kings 22, verse 3. It says, so in the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the secretary of the house of the Lord, saying, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And let it be given to the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And let them, let them give it to the workmen who are at the house of the Lord, repairing the house, that is, to the carpenters and to the builders and the masons. And let them use it for buying timber and quarried stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the money that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly. They deal honestly. So, Josiah now, somewhere between 20 and 26 years old, now an adult, he's been getting down to business, and he calls his secretary, essentially his, his chief of staff, Shaphan, his assistant, to come to him. And he says, hey, listen, it's time to repair the temple. This is where God is supposed to be worshipped rightly, and he's just not being worshipped rightly, and there's all these altars and all kinds of craziness going on that I've been destroying, but I want to really make things right and get the temple straight and prepared for right worship of God. So he says to his secretary, Shaphan, he says, I want you to go to Hilkiah, the high priest of the temple, and tell him to start to take the money that has been given and start to pay those subcontractors. Let's get to work. We're going to repair the temple of God. Second Chronicles tells us that Joseph, uh, or Josiah appoints Levites now as foremen for the project. Now, if you know anything about the Levites, Levites are these, they're, they're like myself, they're kind of ministers. And specifically in Second Chronicles, it says uh, those Levites who are skillful in instruments, to be the foreman of the project, essentially. Now, it's kind of strange. This summer, uh, we're doing a little bit of work on our house, and uh, we have all kinds of contractors coming in and out of our house these days. But to be honest, I don't want my contractors to be Berkeley students in skinny jeans wearing Vans or Converse, right? I want my, my contractors coming in wearing Carhartt clothing and steel toe boots. Josiah, though, was up to something that he would call the musicians. I believe that he knew that the Levites were the ones who led the worship, and they were passionate about right worship of, of God, and they longed to be able to praise God again in the temple rightly. And so these guys who were musicians, really like his great-great-great-grandfather David, these guys had a heart for worship. And it was really never about the external qualifications anyhow. It's always about the heart with the Lord. Think about when King David was appointed by the prophet uh, Samuel. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, Do not look on the outward appearance, the height or stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so when Samuel was to appoint the, that first real king of, of Israel, God's man for the job, he says, I don't want you looking for the physical characteristics. I want you to look for the one who's got my heart. I want you to look for the one who's got my heart, and I have his heart. And so Josiah appoints the people with the heart for the right worship of the Lord to lead this project. And the project is underway. Renovations are being made. Now read on in verse 8. It says, Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. 
And Shaphan the secretary came to the king and he reported to the king, your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. Oh, I just, I love this. This is, this is so good. Renovations are underway in the temple and something huge happens. Something absolutely incredible. Hilkiah the high priest grabs Shaphan, the the secretary, and says, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. That is their Bible, the first five books of the Old Testament, the the Pentateuch. And Shaphan reads it, and then he brings it to King Josiah, and then Josiah has him read the book to him. Now, we as Americans maybe say, okay, uh, big deal, reading a, a Bible in the church, essentially, in the, the temple, what's the big deal? I mean, I was just at Target the other day looking for a birthday present for my wife. I mean, that's where I'm going to go. Target is her favorite store. And I get to the book section, and I was surprised to see, though the rest of the store, there were many things that were out of stock. There were Bibles there, plenty of Bibles. But for these people in Israel, they no longer had access to their Bible, the first five books for us. Apparently, uh, other copies of the Bible, the, the Pentateuch, had been destroyed. Now, we have a few options of what's going on here. What could be going on here? One is that they found in the the temple there while doing the construction, one, the original copy of the Pentateuch. Two, maybe it wasn't the original copy, but it's one of the last remaining copies. Or three, it's it's, uh, the the very last remaining copy of the, the Pentateuch. Now, I lean towards one or three because Josiah has been seeking the Lord. He's the most powerful man among his people. Imagine if an American president needed something. All he has to do is ask for it, and it will get done. You need a quad shot, venti latte with cinnamon, done. I need a little bit of research for a decision I'm going to make, done. Josiah had been seeking the Lord since he was 16 years old for four years now. I need one of those Bibles. Give me a Bible. It would have been done, but Bibles weren't accessible, right? And now here's why this story feels so like the Goonies to me or National Treasure. Because you have a kid leading the discovery of possibly one of the last remaining copies of the Pentateuch, of the Bible, that had been hidden somewhere in the temple, either on purpose by an unfaithful king or leader in the era of the kings, or just simply got lost because people didn't care to read it anymore. But now, through their renovation of the temple, they're moving stones around and and doing masonry and all kinds of great work. They discover this copy of the Bible, and he is so excited to find it. As a kid, uh, in the home that I grew up in, we had a basement that was made of cinder blocks on the wall. And the cinder blocks would come about halfway up, and then the stick house was built on top of that. And I remember, uh, because the cinder blocks stopped about halfway up at chest level, there were the holes, the two holes from the cinder blocks that would go all the way down to the foundation. And so me and my brother from time to time would drop things down those holes. I, I, I still regret this to the day, this day, but I dropped a Ken Griffey baseball card. He was one of the greatest hitters of all time. I dropped a Ken Griffey baseball card down the hole. I also dropped uh, a little drawing I did of uh, my first grade crush. Her name was Heaven. Yes, that was actually her name. And I dropped a drawing of Heaven down the holes of the center block down. And I was thinking something like maybe someday some archaeologist will find the remains of our house and learn about this great love story and this guy who had a passion for baseball. But, but essentially, this is what happens is they're, they're renovating and they're doing all kinds of stuff in the temple and they discover 
the book. They discover the Bible. I think it speaks to the indestructibility of the Word of God. I mean, how many world leaders throughout history, throughout the ages, have tried to eradicate this book to no avail? Why? Because 1 Peter chapter 1.25 says, The Word of the Lord endures forever. This book is so distinct from every other book in the world. This book is unbelievable. This book was written by 40 different authors over the period of 1,500 to 2,000 years on three different continents by people speaking three different languages, and yet somehow it gives one unifying story. How does that happen? It's because this is like no other book. This is the very Word of God given through humans so that we could learn about who He is and learn about His heart for us and learn about His plan to bring us back into right relationship with Him. And so the words of Hilkiah, the the high priest in verse 8, have always struck me in this story. He says, I have found the book. I just anticipate and just, just picture him saying this with excitement. I have found the, the book. There's just a sense of value of what they have discovered. I, I think about my own life. I have a Bible in nearly every room in my house. And I just pray that God would give me that kind of excitement that when I see the Bible laying on my coffee table, I found the book. When I see the Bible on my, my end table, I found the book. When I see the Bible on my nightstand, I found the book. When I'm scrolling through my phone and I see the Bible app there, I found the book. I mean, just have this real sense of what an amazing privilege that I have to have this kind of access to the very words of God. Now notice, what do each of the people do when they get the Bible in their hands? Hilkiah brings it to Shaphan, and what does he do? He reads it. And then Shaphan brings it to Josiah, and what does he do? He reads it. And then in the next chapter, which I'll give you as homework, maybe just an assignment if you're really interested in the story, keep going with it. Chapter 23, there's more to the story. But in chapter uh, 23, verse 2, Josiah gathers all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and what do they do? He reads it aloud to them. They read it. What do you do with this book? If you treasure it, you see it as what it really is, the very words of God, you read it, and you're eager to hear from what God has to say. Remember the, the movie National Treasure and the, the secret map written in invisible ink on the back of the Declaration of Independence? They were, independence. They were so excited to read it. Listen, obviously, not true, by the way, but obviously, uh, this is such, such a valuable uh, truth, uh, such, such an amazing treasure that we hold in our hands. I mean, we should be so excited, leaning in, careful to hear what God has for us. God has made himself known to us through these words. I remember when I first gave my life to Christ, and I, I got out of my parents' minivan after coming back from church that day, and I ran, and I jumped on the top bunk of my bunk bed, and I was just devouring the scriptures. I was so hungry for God. I just wanted to know Him. And listen, we've been praying hard this week that God would give us in these different churches that are part of this, that God would give us this kind of hunger, that this summer we would take a little extra time to dig in to this book, that we would treasure this book and see it for what it really is, an amazing discovery, an amazing gift from God. Now, let's close with verse 11. It says, And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. What's he do? He tears his clothes, which is a sign of repentance, of brokenness, of mourning, that I and my people have not been living by the book, and it broke him. In Psalm chapter 51, verse 17, it says, A broken and contrite heart, O God, 
you will not despise. In other words, God loves this kind of heart. And and later in chapter uh, 23, God commends Josiah for his heart that just breaks over not living out the book and not reading the book. Josiah is greater than any of the other kings. Why? Because he was so bad and he became so good? Because of the, 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 the drastic change in his life? No, he really wasn't all that bad. He was a good boy. Was it because of the change that he affects? Not really, because you read the story, it goes on, and the, the change that he affects starts to dwindle in the next generation. He was greater than the other kings because when the Word of God, the Bible, intersects with his life, his heart was moved. And that's what we deeply need. We need this summer for this book to just grip our hearts. And the only way for that to begin to happen is for us to read it. It's for us to really dig in and start to read it and say, God, speak to my heart through this book and a prayer that he loves to answer. So if you leave this time together, you shut your computer, turn off your TV, close your phone and get back to whatever it is you're going to do throughout the rest of your day today. If you leave with anything, I want you to leave really with one thing. I want you to leave seeing how the people of Israel were able to engage with the Bible in a new in a fresh way. As they say, distance makes the heart grow fonder. They had been away from it for a while and they come back to it and they say, wow, what an amazing gift. And they had this sense of the value of the scriptures and they respond to the scriptures. I want you to ask yourself this question. What is my plan to engage with the Bible in new and fresh ways this summer? Take advantage of the freshness of this season. It's a new season, and maybe you can sleep in a little later because you're not having to work as much. You get a little bit of time off. Take advantage of this season to engage with the Bible in new ways, or maybe to to engage with the Bible for the very first time. What's your plan to do that this summer? I'm going to pray with you that God will just make this incredibly meaningful summer for you as you dig into the scriptures in a new and a fresh way. I'm going to ask God to help it to just hit your heart in new ways and just be living and active in your heart as Hebrews promised that it will be. Some of you, I will say this, some of you have never given your life to Jesus. Spoiler alert. As you get into chapter uh, 23, you'll start to see that the nation changes and there's these radical reforms that take place in the, in the nation. But listen, they don't last. And here's why they don't last. They don't last because it didn't really have an internal heart change that can only come through Jesus and his spirit within us. It was reform without revival. And as you read this book, you'll see that the story goes on and all the book ultimately will point you to Jesus. And some of you, I don't want you to get into this book and start to try to obey it without obeying the central and most important command, and that is to give your life to Jesus, to turn from independence from God and turn and just entrust your life to Jesus. Don't start to do things and reform your life without the internal change that needs to take place when you see what Jesus has done for you, that God became a man and he walked in the shoes and he was perfect and he never sinned, so he didn't deserve the death of a sinner, the death that he died on the cross, but he died that death on the cross for you and for me, so that if we would trust in what he has done for us, his righteousness in place of our righteousness, we would receive in faith his gift of new and eternal life and be clothed in his Christ, Christ's righteousness, then you get forgiveness of sin, and you get right relationship with God, and you get life and life eternal. That's what you need. So I pray that as we engage in this book, God would point all of us to Jesus and it would lead to true, lasting change in our hearts and in our lives. Change that lasts into eternity, well beyond this summer. 
I also pray that you'll be engaging in this book in new and fresh ways this summer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of your scriptures. God, I pray that we would see it as a real gift, as a real treasure. God, I pray that, that we would respond to it like Hilkiah responded to it. I have found the book. I have something valuable in our hand, my hands. And God, I pray for all, across all of our churches, Lord, that there would just be a sense of what a gift, uh, just a, a, a new fervor for, for reading and hearing from you. God, would you do that in our hearts this summer? God, may it be fresh, illuminate it to our hearts and to our minds. And then, God, I pray that if anybody is watching right now and they've never given their life to Christ, that right now would be their time to give their life to Jesus, that they would call upon your name and be saved. God, thank you that we get to kick off this series like this today. And God, I pray that it would just be so powerful throughout the course of this summer. Oh, we love you, and we thank you for what you're doing in our midst across this city. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.